Okay, let's pray. Our blessed Father, our God, Father of all Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, you are the Father from whom all fatherhood derives its name. We are among men most blessed, for we can approach you, approach your throne, and call you our Father. Thank you, Lord. We are going to be engaged in a glorious activity, that of our God, your word, we ask for grace. We ask that by your spirit you would enlighten us, enliven us as we engage in this study. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, um, we'll start. The topic given to me today is the inerrancy of Scripture, and that's what we'll deal with. I will read a few introductory Scriptures, then we will go to the Baptist Confession of 1689, and then after that, we will um, deal with the word inerrancy. Make some observations. We'll have comments. We'll deal with some objections and challenges. And then we will end with, if we were to deny inerrancy, listen to this, if we were to deny the inerrancy of the scriptures, how would we then live? All right? This, I think this is very important because it's important to understand and to believe that scripture is inerrant. All right. Um, scripture says, the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. So it has to be inerrant. It's given by God breathing it out. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For that to take place, that word of God must be pure. It must be clean. It must be inerrant. Because 
we have to rely upon it in order to obey God. Turn with me to your, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. I'll just read that as introduction. Deuteronomy number 6, chapter number 6. And I'm going to read chapter, verses 4 through 7. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. Listen to this. You shall teach them to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit. And that is in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Look at verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doppels of your house and on your gates. The word of God. No, you don't have to be a, a, a preacher. You don't have to have a pulpit. It is the dealing of God's word in everyday life. It says, when you sit in your house, teach them. When you walk by the way, teach them. When you rise, teach them. When you lie down, teach them. It must be a regular thing in the child of God, the word of God. In order for it to be that, we must insist on the fact that it is inerrant. It must be pure. We will have nothing else than that. So to deny it is to put us in grave trouble. Because then we would seriously doubt it. We would disobey it. Let's look at another passage of scripture as introduction here. It's Psalm 119 and verses 9 through 16. Psalm 119 verses 9 through 16. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. Listen to the question. How can a young man keep his way pure? It's a question. And 
there must be an answer to that. How can a young man keep his way pure? Naturally, our ways are impure. We need guidance then from outside of us in order to keep our way pure. Listen to it. How can a young man keep his way pure? And it says it is by guarding it according to your word or by taking heed to your word. That's how he keeps his way pure. With my whole heart, I seek you. So we find that in order for him to guard it, in order for him to keep it, he must seek it. it. says, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Look at those verbs there. Okay? Seeking, he does not want to wander from God's commandment. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Look at the other one. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. He, that man, must be teachable. He must submit himself to the word of God in order to keep his way pure. My point for reading these things is that it has to be inerrant. It has to be pure. It has to be true so that the man of God would be profited by it. All right? Another verse, look at that. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. Being teachable, but then he must recount it. Tell others, but... Most of all, tell it to himself. He must do that in order for him to obey it. In the way of your testimonies, it says that, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight, or he, takes re or he rejoices in it. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Look at the word here, delight. Look at meditate. Look at rejoice. Look at the word fix. Fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not Forget your word, all right? He must delight in it. He must rejoice in it. He must meditate on it. He must not forget it. He must listen to it, be teachable um, about it. He must store it in his heart. He must seek it with his whole heart to keep his way pure. That way, he will do the right thing before the Lord. That word then, that word then must be inerrant 
in order for it to do that. All right, I'm going to go to the Baptist Confession and look at two paragraphs. Follow with me as I, as I re-listen to that. The first one is of the Holy Scriptures, and I'll read another one, the seventh, the seventh paragraph. One is of the Holy Scriptures. Listen to this. It says, the Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. I like that. The only. The only sufficient, the only certain, the only infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence so clearly demonstrate the goodness, wisdom, and power of God that people are left without excuse. That is true. However, these demonstrations are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will that is necessary for salvation. Therefore, the Lord was pleased at different times and in various ways to reveal himself and to declare his will to his church. To preserve and propagate the truth better and to establish and comfort the church with greater certainty against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world, the Lord put this revelation completely in writing. Very important. It says that natural things that we see out there, we are taught that there is a God. But that is not sufficient. So God in his great wisdom and goodness now has put it into writing. That writing must be inerrant. It says, therefore, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely, listen to this, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former ways of revealing his will to his people have now ceased. We learn that in sundry times and in diverse manners. God spoke in time past unto our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us in his son or by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And his son came and the apostles that he appointed, and now they brought to us and gave to us the word of God. Therefore, we have God's word in writing. This is necessary for us so that we may continually have it all the time. Now listen to paragraph 7 of things clearer than others. It says, some things... 
because we'll deal with that. Some things in scripture are clearer than others. And some people understand the teaching more clearly than others. However, the things that must be known, believed, and obeyed for salvation are so clearly set forth and explained in one part of scripture or another that both the uneducated, or rather both the educated and uneducated may achieve a sufficient understanding of them by properly using ordinary matters. This is very important. Not everything in scripture is as clear as we would like. The way it is written, though, it is written that the uneducated or the educated would be able to understand enough from it for salvation. Look with me in Psalm 19 and see that. Psalm 19. And look at, let's look at verses 7 and 8. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So we have a few things there that the word of God is. One, it says that it is perfect. And what it does, it revives the soul. Another said it is sure. And what does it do? It makes the simple wise. One more, it is right. It rejoices the heart, and so forth. Now, the reason again, the reason again that we're reading this is that if that is what the word of God does, we must insist upon it being inerrant. Other than that, the man of God will not be helped. It will not serve him well. All right? Let's look at the word inerrant. What does it mean? When we say the word of God is inerrant, we are saying that it is without error. It means that the utter truthfulness of God's word, it is that, it's true. The word of God is altogether truthful 
and reliable in everything it affirms. Listen to this again. The word of God is altogether truthful and reliable in everything it affirms. And that is in the original manuscripts. The Bible always tell, tells us the truth in all its varied subjects, whatever that subject is. We're talking about the utter truthfulness of God's word. It always tells us the truth. When we say God's words are pure, they are refined, they are purified, because that we find in Psalm 12, it is to insist that the Holy Scripture have no dross. Yeah. When we say that, look with me in Psalm 12. And verse 6. Listen to this. Psalm 12 and verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven times. The words of the Lord are pure words. What is it like? Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. This is said in contrast to everybody else telling lies. Listen to this. The psalmist says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. You and I cannot totally rely upon the word of man. He lies to us. Look at our government. Look at the newscast. Everybody lie to us. Everybody. But David says that the words of the Lord are pure words. They are refined as silver is refined seven times. The intent is that we will believe God's word we will rest on God's word. We will obey God's word. And we will use God's word as final. That's the intent of it. Let's make a few observations concerning inerrancy. The Bible does not tell us everything there is to know. It doesn't do that. 
But what it says about any subject is true. The Bible covers geography, all sorts of subjects it covers. It does not tell you everything completely. But everything it tells you, everything it tells you is true. Listen to that. Inerrancy, inerrancy applies equally to all parts of the scripture as originally written. Intimately tied up with hermeneutics and related to scripture's intent. The meaning of the scripture is the scripture, its intent. Although our topic at hand is on the truthfulness in speech, let's be aware that absolute truthfulness in speech is consistent with some other types of statements. And I have that. We are talking about truthfulness in speech. But there are other types of statements that we must consider because we, we speak many different ways and we must consider them. Let's look at this one. Everyday ordinary speech. In Psalm 113, listen to that. From the rising of the sun and to its going down or to its setting, the Lord's name is to be praised. The scripture is telling us that the sun rises and it sets. Now this is everyday ordinary speech. Charles Hodge says, the language of scripture is founded on apparent truth. They speak as men always do, as things appear, not as they themselves know or believe them to be. But it tells you the thing the way it appears. Again, we are saying that it's everyday and ordinary speech. That's what we're dealing with. And the thing is written there from the perspective of the speaker. Inerrancy then. Inerrancy is a doctrine that must be asserted. We must have it. We must insist upon it. It must be that. But which may not be demonstrated with respect to all the phenomena of Scripture. Okay? Because everything it says is true. But it cannot always be demonstrated 
according to the phenomena of scripture. Take, for example, the scripture saying, the sun rises and the sun sets. Let's look at another one, another statement. Statement can be imprecise without being untrue. The statement can be imprecise and still not be untrue. Many times I'm asked how long it takes from my home in the Bronx to here on a Sunday morning. And I'd say, ah, 15 minutes. Now, when I ch checked on Google, or rather on Waze, I was told, I was shown that it's, fifth, it's 22 minutes. 22 minutes. Now, would you say that I lied? Or was I inerrant in what I said? No. I was not precise, but that does not mean that I lied. So we're saying that statements can be imprecise without being untrue. Okay? Statements can be imprecise without being untrue. Inerrancy, though. What is, inerrancy has to do with truthfulness. Not with the degree of precision with which events are reported. Inerrancy has to do with truthfulness. Not with the degree of precision which events, in which events are reported. Let's look at another one. Go for it, Anne-Marie. Sure. So when you say things can be imprecise mm -hmm. without being an error, would a good example of that be the four Gospels that actually gave different accountings of Christ? And, you know, we know that we're, they're seen from different perspectives. Mm. Yes, I would, I would agree with that they are imprecise. Um, take, for example, um, this is where I was going to, loose and, and free quotations. The, the, the scriptures, you know, there are loose and free quotations. You and I, we, we deal with open and closed quotations. We would say then, my wife told me, quote, that dinner will be ready in 15 minutes. Now, a loose quotation of that, I could say, my wife said that dinner will soon be ready. <laughs> no, I did not lie. It's just that I used it freely, more loosely to say that. And the scriptures are written in that, in that way, a whole lot. Listen to this. Written Greek in the time of the New Testament had no quotation marks. 
neither was it expected to cite each word perfectly. They, had, they didn't have that. So what was given is the intent, not quote and unquote. But they would do so loosely, freely. And of course, you get the intent of what is said. Yes, Marcia. Um, Tony is coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tells us in Ezra when he read the scriptures, we get the sense. The sense, yes, yeah. Explained it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you 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 get you get the message, though not necessarily word for word in that sense, yeah. So and it does not mean that he said anything untrue. Right. Okay. Another one. Inerrancy does not demand strict adherence to the rules of grammar. Right. You do not have to speak fluent English to get the message across. Where I work at the hospital, there are lots of Spanish people. They would ask me direction, tell me something, and in many cases, I mean, they are Spanish, they do not know English, so they would say it in very broken English. And I would have to listen intently. But then, although it's not grammatical English, I would understand and be able to give them the direction or the answer that, that, that they need. So inerrancy, for the thing to be correct, for it to be true, for it to be right and without error, does not demand on strict adherence of the rules of grammar. A statement can be ungrammatical and still be true. Why? Because the issue is truthfulness in speech. Okay? But there are objections to it. There are challenges to inerrancy. One of them is that we obey the Bible only for practice and faith, or for faith and practice. That is, and what they mean by that is that when you come to church, you obey the Bible, whatever it says. You're in church, yes, everybody obey the Bible. But then, Monday morning, you go to work, that doesn't apply. You see. 
but Christianity, the word of God, is for all people at all times, everywhere, <laughs> in whatever you do. That's what it is. You'll forgive me for lifting this up because <laughs> my glasses are not showing, uh, are not doing too well. Yeah? Is your, would yours be better? I don't know. Mm, yeah, uh, that's all right. All right. <laughs> okay, so again, we're talking about we obey the Bible only, they said, for faith and practice. And generally, that is true. Because that is why we have the Word of God. So that we may have faith and practice that faith. But not only here in church. It's for everywhere and at every time. In all situations and circumstances. So if you come here, we come here. And we praise the Lord, Brother Anthony. He, he, he leads us into worship. We praise the Lord and we are blessed. And then we leave, go home, and we left it here. We went to work and we go about just like the world would. I have had that told me. For many professing Christians where I work, that doesn't work here. Second Timothy three sixteen again. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Look at how it goes. Look at the focus. The focus is in righteousness. It's not in unrighteousness. It's heading and it's directing the man in righteousness. We are told in Titus that the grace of God appeared to man. Guess what it does? It teaches him that God's Grace, which has appeared to man, teaches the man to deny ungodliness. It focuses him in one way. Righteousness. To live right lives. To live godly lives. That's what it does. Psalm 119 and verse 96. Psalm 119 and verse 96. Thank you. 
Here's what it says. I have seen a limit to all perfections. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. It is not subject only to one area, but to all areas. It's wide. It covers everything. Yes. Oh, I thought, yes, and Marie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, but the doers of the word, and not hearers only. Yes. Amen, and it's not limited to one area. He talks about it be he perseveres. Where will he persevere? He'll persevere everywhere he is. He has to persevere. Yeah, through life he must do so. So that word of God must guide him, must be with him everywhere he is at all times, not on certain days, not on a Sunday only. It is the way he lives. That is who he is. It must affect him on his job, on the road driving, in the movie theater, at the party, on his toilet seat, with his wife and children, it must affect him then. That's very important. Then why, why did God give it? Is it so that we would come to church on a Sunday, pretend, and then go home and pay no attention to it? The scripture says it's like a mirror. It's like a mirror, if, no, let me see how he said that. He said, if we listen to it and we turn our backs on it, it's like us looking at ourselves in a mirror and then we walk out the door and forget who we are. Holy Scripture, we are told, as James told us there, it's the perfect law of liberty. And it must be sought, it must be looked into intently, purposely, deliberately. Because then that's how the young man will get his way clean. All right? We are dealing now with 
some of the objections and the challenges. Look at another one. It is said that inerrancy is a poor term because it's a non-biblical term, which is true. Of course, you know that one. The answer, of course, is that is true, but so is the word Trinity. Trinity is not a biblical word, but what does it do? What does the word Trinity does? It summarizes a true biblical concept. And that's what inerrancy, the word inerrancy, does. Another one. It is said that the manuscripts that we have, the manuscripts are not inerrant. So to say inerrant is misleading. Since the manuscripts are not inerrant, and you and I insist on inerrancy, that's, me, that's misleading. I like this one. Here's the example. Here's the answer to that. The original copy of the Constitution of the United States is housed in a building called the National Archives. And that's in D.C. We're going to suppose now. Suppose the building was destroyed and the original copy lost. Would we be able then to have the complete copy, a copy, a copy that is inerrant? The answer would be yes. How? To find out what the Constitution said, we would compare the many copies. <laughs> Even at my house, I have a copy. We would compare the many copies where they all agreed and be comforted and be confident that we had the exact words of the original document. This is exactly what happened. It is true. We do not have the original manuscripts. But we have so many copies. And so many copies of copies. And in so many families. That yes, we are able to compare them. We are able to bring them together and have the inerrant word of God in our possession. Let me encourage you. That which you and I hold in our hands, 
Imagine this. I'm at home and I have this on my knees or on my legs on my bed or on my table. God's word. I have that. The perfect, the inerrant word of God. I have it in my possession. What am I encouraging you about? To believe it. To read it. To study it. To take time in it. Don't do like I used to do. What was I doing? You just read it and go your way. It's James. Read it purposely. Read it deliberately. For it is God's word. It is God speaking. And you and I will do well to obey and to, to take caution, be cautious of how we come to the holy word of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, you and I are so blessed. The truth is that I don't really understand that myself. That God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who is a great king, majestic, is most glorious, the best of being, has made it possible that I have his word. This God who cannot lie, this God who is all-powerful, this God who created the heavens and the earth and mankind and did so with a purpose. Imagine him giving us his word and his word has errors. Think about that. It is wrong to think so little of this God. Therefore, we must insist that God's word is inerrant. Because it is. Let's deal, how, much, how many more minutes do we have? Ooh. Let's deal with if we deny inerrancy. What would happen? How would we then live? We deny it. We agree with those who denied it. Who deny it. How would that affect our lives? What assurance would we have? We deny it. Here are a few answers. We would justify our telling of untruth. We would justify our telling of untruth in situations where it might help us communicate better. Since we are commanded to imitate God as their children. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore, be imitators of God as their children. 
So since God's word is, is, is not inerrant, since there is untruth in that, we too can justify our untruth, claiming that we are imitators of God as their children. Okay? So that's one thing. If we were to deny inerrancy, that's what would happen. Yes. I'm modeling with um, your own personal uh, way of um, having a conversation with somebody. I'm dealing more of that. You would you would tend to um, say untruthful things, especially where it might make your conversation easier. You understand? To get your point across. Because you would say that's what the Bible did anyway. Yeah. Yes, um, Anne Marie. Mm. So if we would claim that God himself, the Holy Bible in itself, is, is, has errors, and that God says things, although the thing itself may not be true, just to be able to make a point, then we can do that also. Well, we do that because of our sin, but we, are, we cannot use Holy Scripture to justify our, our sin, our doing that. Yes, we do that, but not Holy Scripture. God cannot do that because God cannot lie. Cannot do that. All right. So again, we are dealing with, if we were to deny inerrancy, how would we then live? Another one, B, we would not trust the entirety of scripture. We couldn't. Here's another one. We would decide which part of scripture is true and which is an error. What have we become? Judges of Holy Scripture. And of course we have that. Based on what you, you, you must have dealt with. Today, 
we want to determine how the scripture is to be interpreted. So we do that in one sense. Oh, it doesn't mean this to me. As if that matters. It doesn't. What it says, its intent, who it is coming from, holy men of God spoke as they were moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit. God breathed. It is that that matters to us. What it means to you means nothing to me. I couldn't care less. According to John Mark Arthur. What if you were not here? <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's God's word. All right. So we would decide which part of scripture is true. What a horrible place to be. And which is in error. Going back to Genesis, I'm of the opinion that is what happened to Cain. Because it was taught him how to worship God. Abel did. So God had revealed it. He was taught. He sought, though, to worship God in his own way. Being judge of what God had commanded as God's word. And he killed his brother because of that. We do not want to be judges of God's word. We do not want to decide what God's word says or means. Our responsibility is to obey what God has said. Let's look at the last one. It says, if we were to deny inerrancy, we would also say that the Bible is wrong in all its major doctrines. Of course. Justification. Salvation. Can you imagine that? How could you and I feel safe? We, we, we couldn't. We would not be sure. Couldn't be that. So the inerrancy of scripture is an important subject in our day. You know, I, I, I read that through a few books. And they, that's covered under the authority of scripture. They didn't have a, a, a different subject to it. To, to deal with the word inerrancy itself. They didn't have that. Because it was assumed that everybody believed it's God's word. It was true. Today we have become so smart. We are so wise that now we, we, we question it being inerrant. Therefore, that, that subject is necessary and to be, to be spoken of and to, to be dealt with in many cases, in our cases. So that is good, inerrancy of scripture. Um, if you have any comment or any um, question, we'll entertain this. 
and then we'll close and go home. I hope um, that helped in us, in our study, in us um, knowing the things of God, the word of God, in us having our Bible in our, on our laps. I heard that, I, I trust that that helped us so that we would um, feel safe with our Bible. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Then who would become the authority? <laughs> we would be, yes. Yes, and we as imitators of God, it would be would be justified in imitating our God. He's a liar; we can lie too. Mm. Amen. God is truth. We must insist upon that. Yeah, we must insist on God has to be true. We want it this way. Oh yeah, we must have it. God is true. Amen. So that when we come to God's word, we have our, his Bible, our Bible in our hands, we have God's word. And we subject ourselves to it because it demands that. Amen. All right. If that is all, then we will say a word of prayer and go home. Heavenly Father, glorious is your name, which is exalted forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto its setting, your great name is to be praised. Your name is high above all nations, and your glory is above the heavens. You are great and you are wise. You are good, you are awesome, you are majestic, you are glorious, an excellent being. You are to be feared above all gods. The gods of the nations are idols. You made the heavens and the earth. You have granted to us salvation so that you may be feared. You have given to us your word in Holy Scripture, written so that we might have it constantly with us at any time we want. Grant us grace to be children that obey your word, truly imitating you, truly emulating you, following you, obeying you so that we may prove to be children of God. Guide us in our way. Keep us safe. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.